The holidays are upon us, and 2023 strategies are being made. Regardless of your industry or size, Connected TV should play a vital role in your marketing mix, and Mountain is making it more affordable and easier than ever to get seen. Mountain's self-serve platform gets you access to tens of thousands of audience segments, serves your ads exclusively on top streaming networks, and automatically optimizes your campaign thousands of times a day for peak performance. The result? High-impact ads that always find their target at any time with any show. Visit Mountain.com to learn more. Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is one of the founders of the Fab Four, uh, arguably the best Beatles act that's out there. Uh, and our guest today is Ron McNeil. So welcome, Ron. Hello, Matt. How are you? I, I've got to put some uh, money in the mail for you for saying that we're the best. I, I think you said one of the best. Maybe not. Well, well, well I, 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 I think <laughs> I, I think you are. I'll tell you, I like the band. It's a different act. I like what Will Lee does also. I think he's great. Oh, yeah. Those guys are great. That's one way to do it, and we do it the other way, but uh, I definitely admire those guys as well. Yeah, great, great musician. So, Ron, the, the origin of the band here is so interesting, and I guess it was Beatlemania on Broadway many, many years ago that sort of turbocharged that whole genre of incredibly talented musicians literally playing the Beatles at various you know, times of their existence, going back to the early days. And I love your opening with Please Please Me, um, right up to the end around Let It Be in the late 60s. But talk about the origin of the band, because it's a pretty unique story. Well, that's kind of what happened. Uh, my father took me um, in L.A. to the Pantages Theater uh, late, late 70s or, yeah, probably late 70s to see Beatlemania. I, I just, there was nothing like it at the time. I mean, now there's tribute bands all over the place, tribute to Queen, tribute to ABBA, tribute to, uh, you know, whoever. There's even a tribute to the band, the heavy metal band Rat from the 80s. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. I think, I think they only have one or two songs, but like there's a tribute band to that. So, but at the time it was very unique. Here were four guys on Broadway performing as the Beatles, but they weren't the Beatles. And being a kid who had, who had already learned some of their songs, it was bizarre. I thought maybe I could be a Beatle. <laughs> it's like, it, it was just such a weird, you know, um, situation where here were four guys performing as the Beatles and they weren't the Beatles. And I thought there might be an opportunity to get a job performing all the greatest music of all time for people and not be one of the Beatles, but be one of the Beatles. So it was very cool. 
And so you were at a convention of Beatle fans? Well, that was later, yeah. So after Beatlemania, after my father took me to see that show, I um, went to a Beatles convention and they were having a sound alike contest. And um, I saw Artie up there who plays Paul McCartney in our group singing with his band. And he sounded just like Paul McCartney. And our, I had already been practicing and trying to sound like John Lennon. So we got together a, a few years later and started the band. Amazing. And this is how many years ago now? It's quite some time. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, yeah, 30 some years ago, I guess you'd say. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, and talk about, you know, that journey to learn to not only look uh, uh, like John on stage as you do, but to sound like him, the mannerisms, um, you were doing this sort of pre-YouTube. Um, how did you figure out how to do that? And it's awfully ambitious to take on, you know, one of the true icons of music anywhere in the world. It's a little bit like cosplay, you know, but before that was a thing. Um, I just loved the Beatles and I was learning the music, not because, like I said, I'd have a job doing it, but because I just was so intrigued by their harmonies and oh George is singing that middle one and who's playing guitar on this and I would just learn all of it just because I thought it was fun once it became a job the music was was uh, one thing but then like you said trying to emulate their movements and those things that's just from being a fan and watching my old you know God, I'm really going to give away my age here uh, watching my, my VHS tapes and and trying to figure out what they were doing. I figure, well, if I'm playing John, I know he stood with his legs open and did this and did that. And that turns into a whole separate art on its own, which direction he looked uh, to how he hold it, held his guitar pick. Because I held my guitar pick a little bit differently than John did. But for the show, I, I actually have to hold it differently. So it's, it's really crazy, all those different uh, attention to detail that, that has to come out when you're doing this kind of thing. And I think it just helps and adds to the authenticity of the, of the entire experience. You know, the little, the little pieces make up the big picture, obviously. Yeah, and, and I even love, in one of the clips I saw, where you have a, sort of that faux Ed Sullivan character to come out and introduce <laughs> the band. Um, but I think that word authenticity, Ron, I think that's very true to what you do with the Fab Four. We try. I mean, it is, you know, 2022 and it's hard to, uh, you know, to get people to think they're going back in time all the way to a lot of times. I don't know if you've noticed, but we don't have any water bottles on stage or anything that would be out of period. So we really uh, try to pay attention to those those details and give people an authentic experience just the way. I think Artie and I, when we started the group, we wanted to start the kind of group that we would like to see. And that's the way we put it together with, with that in mind. And, and talk about the reaction that you get. I mean, you're a working band, you work hard. I know you're in the Midwest now in the midst of a tour. Uh, this is not an occasional get together for you and, and your, your fellow members of the Fab Four. You guys are a working act you know, doing three, four, five shows a week, every week, week in and out. Oh, yeah, this is our job. And it has been for more than 25 years, almost 30 years now. And we started a company and a corporation and, and, and take it seriously. This is not something that we, you know, take lightly. So 
Um, in fact, this last weekend, we had uh, two Fab Fours, one in Laughlin and one in here in, in Indiana going. So we had two casts performing in the same night. So when it's that serious, you have to put things together. See, there's the cops right there coming, <laughs> coming to check us out. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it is something that we take seriously, and it's something we've been doing as a business for, for that long. And talk about the reaction you get from the fans. I mean, it's such adoration, and I think the fans really appreciate the Fab Four and the genre because they can sense how much you and Art and the band care about authenticity. Well, it is, and it obviously it's a little bit different for everyone. People who grew up with the Beatles are, you know, going back in time, like you said. But people who didn't grow up with the Beatles get an opportunity, which, you know, it's most people now. Most people, you know, like us, weren't like the guys in the band weren't able to see the Beatles, so and there was there would there would be no way to do it. it just weren't born in that time, and so those people are getting an experience that, um, you know, they could never they could never experience on their own. So it's, it's a great thing. And all those people coming together, seeing kids sing along with the words is just, it's just a great experience. Everyone enjoying that music together. All it really, the music does really bridge a lot of gaps, age gaps and, you know, and uh, whatever you want else you want to say, gender and people from different countries. And it, it doesn't matter. Everyone loves the Beatles. And, and just, you know, this is sort of a, a layup question, but, you know, what do you think it is, Ron, about that music that is so unique? Um, I mean, the whole window of time when the boys were together was, you know, you can count almost just over the fingers on one hand. Um, the touring years, I think that ended in 1966. So after yeah. th that time, you never got a chance to see them live again, other than that, you know, if you can call that last show on the roof, um, a live yeah. show. but. But what do you think it is? I mean, you've spent more time thinking about this and studying it and literally being John Lennon than, than anybody else on the planet. What's your take on the longevity and the legacy of the Beatles music all these decades later? It, it is hard to say. And, and like you said, the Beatles touring years was very a very, very short, short window. I think I've played Imagine more than anybody in I've sung imagined before an audience probably more than any person on the planet. And so um but I think somewhere in the way they wrote the songs and the subject matter, always talking about love, always singing about relationships and certain things. And I just think that the way they put the music together was, for lack of a better word, good. I, there's, I, there's no other there's no other words that you can use. It's good pop music. They were um, rhyme schemes were good, and you know if you analyze it all day, people have tried to do it. And I I you know I can try myself, but I just think it's good, and I think people capture what whatever energy that they were putting forth on the records are you know show through. I heard someone say recently um, that we get old, but the songs don't. And I think that's that makes that makes sense to me that that people will because, uh, like I said, I see generations and generations of people turning on to the music, including my own kids. And, and so it's it, it is a great thing that that music brings people together. And that's that's all I can really say about it is it's it's got to be good. Otherwise, it, would, it wouldn't work. 
Yeah, no, I, I think you're right and very well said. Talk about the experience you have almost on a nightly basis. You go through the whole continuum from the early days and uh, again, the, the please, please me era, um, you know, through Sergeant Pepper and, and Magical Mystery Tour and, and the later stuff is talk about how you and the band, you know, you're literally transforming yourselves. They were very different people from you go from 1964 to 1968 or, or 69. Talk about the experience you have as a performer going through that evolution on an almost nightly basis. Yeah, it is. Obviously, we start, like you said, with the early Ed Sullivan, where the, the Beatles were just happy to be taking over the world and all smiley and, uh, you know, experiencing things for the first time. We have to make it look like we're that band. And then later, like you said, with Sgt. Pepper, it starts to get a little psychedelic. And uh, we try to look like uh, maybe we're um, not quite there. I'll put it to you that way. And... Uh, then through the later period where we make a concerted effort not to look at each other, to make it look, and we try to make it look like George has just kind of had enough. He wants to get out. He's not smiling at all. We're in the early, he's smiling all the time. And so we try to go through that as actors would through a, through a history of a play, but uh, in more of a subtle way on stage. But it's always fun, you know, growing all the hair and growing the mustaches and, and, uh, and watching the Beatles, you know, get older. Uh, through their career through our show on stage and as an incredibly accomplished musician in your own right are there particular genres of the beatles music that you enjoy playing more than others or do you just love it all <laughs> definitely love it all they all present their challenges in the early stages um john played harmonica and i'm not a harmonica player but i picked up a harmonica and started playing and started learning because i needed to <laughs> during the show i'm a pretty good keyboard player so there's some different things that i have to do on keyboards throughout sergeant pepper that seems to be the most the more challenging you know uh, era of their career because they were making albums that they thought would never be able to be performed live much less by four people on stage so we have a lot of challenges there. Penny Lane, Strawberry Fields, A Day in the Life, and some of those songs that present challenges where they weren't using their traditional instruments, guitar and bass and that kind of stuff. Right. So that presents a challenge to us. But it's, it's we take, you know, I love taking on that challenge. And uh, obviously the music, when it comes together, no pun intended, it's, um, you know, it's a great thing. And all the guys are looking at each other going, man, this is sounding great. And the audience is digging it. And so it, it's it's really cool. Fantastic. Uh, and did you watch the uh, the Peter Jackson, the whole big Beatles oh, project? Yeah, no. what, oh, what, yeah. what was what was your take, Ron? You have you have real perspective here. Uh, completely eye opening. There was there's no way that we could get that close to the Beatles without that documentary. I mean, the whole hidden microphone in the in the lamp thing or whatever. I mean, that was just crazy. I, you could really, really get a sense of, of how they were feeling about the group at the time and, and their music and, and watching, you know, Paul Wright get back right in front of you. Just, it, it was just, it was not only watching the Beatles do it, but watching a band do that. It's, it's very, very rarely do you get to go behind the scenes and much less the greatest band of all time. It was I was absolutely floored by it. It was just incredible. And yeah. um, it, it, it's, um, 
something that I'm glad they kept. I'm glad it's something that they could go back and 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 put out, and especially in that quality too, was was pretty mind blowing. Yeah, an incredible piece of work, and and I thought one of the more interesting takeaways was how deferential John was, and how much yeah. at the end, and George clearly had you know his moments, but they all seemed to like each other a lot more than we all thought they did. Yeah, especially that time. Oh, they grew up with each other. They were brothers. They went through that whole thing together, and it it just looked like at that point it wasn't going to work out anymore. And watching their feelings on screen. It was just, it was just mind blowing. It was yeah, really cool. Absolutely. So talk about uh, the challenges of life on the road. As you said, it's a proper business. It's a working band, uh, sometimes with more than one cast out there uh, performing on the same night. The life on the road is unique. Uh, um, it's not nearly as glorious as I think many on the outside think it is. But talk about those challenges and how you make it all work in the totality of a, of a life. Well, yeah, that's presented obviously a problem that we didn't think about. <laughs> you don't think about when you're young, you just start the band and you're having fun. And, and then it turns into a business, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, we looked at it early on where we were performing in clubs and looked at some of the older guys, like some of the guys who were in Beatlemania, some of the guys that we saw actually, you know, kind of asking us for work. And I thought, uh-oh, that's going to be us in a few years. We better form a, a company and a corporation. So that's what we did. And, you know, that's now, so not, that's exactly what it is. Look, all work is work. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, it, you know, we're up there smiling, but, you know, I'm a little under the weather right now and like somebody's got some back problems or, you know, our, our McCartney almost passed out the other night on that outdoor stage with all the humidity and stuff. And, you know, you just keep smiling and keep going. Not to mention the fact that we're away from our families. So a lot of times you have family problems and uh, it's uh, it's glamorous on one end, but on the other end, there's, there's a lot of hard work that goes into it. The traveling. Uh, Mickey Dolenz says, uh, you know, we play for free. We, uh, you know, we get paid to travel because that's right. really what, that's really where the problem is. We don't eat properly. We don't sleep properly. And just the next day you're up doing it again. Yeah. Um, but yep. it really is. It's, it's a labor of love, obviously. You know, if, if you were to tell me when I was 13 years old or whatever, seeing Beatlemania that I was going to be up there doing that for a living and not only that, but making a business, um, um, with it at the same time, I would have been, you know, out of my mind, like I am now, I'm, I'm very happy to be doing it. And it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's really, a, it's the greatest job in the world. That's fantastic. And you mentioned Mickey, I know you have some stuff cooking with him that he's a longtime friend and, uh, and a project cooking about the monkeys. Could we talk huh. about, could we talk about that? <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, um, yeah, we met Mickey years ago. He came up when we were still just a club band and he'd come up and sing some songs with us and we made friends with him. And then in, uh, uh, oh my gosh, 2007, 2017, I think we did a tour with him and Mark Lindsay from Paul Revere and the Raiders. And so we've been good friends throughout, but I've always been a big mon monkeys fan. And as I'm heading towards retirement, <laughs> I decided it might be kind of fun to, 
um, do the same thing I did with the Fab Four, but do with the monkeys and put a group of guys together. Since Mickey's the only one still alive, I thought maybe it'd be a good idea to put a, a loving tribute to those guys, something where people could come and experience that music again and, and try to get an experience of what it was like to uh, have the four monkeys on stage. And so I'm still working on that. And it should be uh, ready by next year, I would think. And uh, it's, it's just been a, another labor of love. I, I just love those guys so much. And uh, so we'll see where that goes. But it's, it's yeah. called the monkey, it's called the monkey men. So the, the monkeys would have this thing where they get dressed up like kind of like a Superman superhero character called the monkey men. And then that's, uh, uh, that's what we're called. And we're going to do the same thing as, as the Fab Four does to the Beatles, play the hits of the monkeys and hopefully travel around. Fantastic. And another band that had a relatively short window of time, but whose legacy continues all these years later. Isn't that weird? Yeah. It just seems like music from that era, for some reason, I call it the sort of adolescence of, of sort of, you know, as people, as the bands were growing up, you know, fifties were kind of silly and people were discovering they could play pop music with three chords. And then that started to get a little bit more sophisticated with the Beatles and then a little bit later, but I think it, just music from that era for some reason rings rings true with, with everyone who listens to it. I think there's a sort of an excitement or something that comes off of those recordings that people are able to relate to. But yeah, it's it's my favorite music of, of all time, you know, the 60s and then you know, a little bit in the 70s and the 80s, obviously when I grew up, but the 60s uh, has a special place in my heart and I think it does for everyone else too. Yeah, I just read a, a great book about Laurel Canyon in the 60s and sort of the singer-songwriter oh, yeah. era and bands like The Birds and Buffalo Springfield and later The Eagles. And uh, it was one of the good sort of takeaways from the book was before cocaine, there was a lot that everybody were really just collaborators and whatever they were doing drinking or smoking you know lent itself you know to a collaborative spirit and that when cocaine took hold people sort of backed off and collaboration gave way to individuality and kind of hurt you know the singer songwriter process and not that there wasn't great mm. music you know produced afterwards into this very day but that they attributed um the earlier days and all the great songwriting that happened in that time period um, through the late 60s, sort of up through Woodstock, that was because what the, the mix of what they were doing was different and that it, the behavior was different. And in Laurel Canyon, you know, nobody had locks on their doors and everybody would just gather at somebody's house and then they would be at someone else's house. And, you know, musical magic would happen. Um, but it was an interesting take. I never really thought about that, the influence of, you know, what these guys and gals were doing to themselves. And you forget also how many died so young. That's true. I mean, there were the dangerous drugs, but generally, if you're sharing a joint with someone, you're more likely to break out in laughter than you are to, you know what I mean? And, and people just enjoying themselves and writing good songs and, and you know, peace and love and that whole hippie uh, era was more about that. I mean, people did overdose, but um, like you said, man, I didn't never really even thought of that, but yeah, it, was, it, it could it be was, a factor. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting take. And in particular, uh, a lot of the book was about Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young and talked about, you know, their journey and, 
I guess Graham Nash was the only one who was really sane out of the four of them. Um, but Crosby's, you know, problems with cocaine, very well documented. Stills also had a lot of problems. Yeah. And uh, Neil was just sort of, you know, operating under his own set of rules, brilliantly creative, of course. Um, oh, yeah. But, you know, a different kind of guy. Very interesting stuff. And the Beatles journey also, I think, certainly that, that, that legendary trip and more than one to India and how that influenced the band and where they went in those later years. And by the way, some incredible music that stands up the later stuff just as well as the, you know, the early Ed Sullivan era music. It's weird how it, when the Beatles music changed, it still stayed good. You yeah. know, it was very, very strange. When you think about when I was in school, actually, I had I presented a, a music as part of my music class, what I was taking. And I presented, you know, I think I showed She Loves You and then Oh Darlin. And people didn't even think it was the same band. Well, this is the same band. It's only within a few years. Right. To show how, how much the music, is, much less show any of uh, George's Indian stuff. <laughs> they would have thought it was music from another planet. You know, so yeah. it, it's really weird. The Beatles were just excellent, excellent uh, songwriters and musicians. And like I said, people from that area, uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash and all those people were just so creative. Yeah, and, and that the music stands the test of time. I mean, that's the greatest, you know, testimony, you know, to someone's we're, we're talent. We're proof of it. We're proof of it. And so is Mickey Dolenz and the people and all, the, all those acts from the 60s that are the ones that are still alive and still touring and, and people still using their music in, in movies and, and TV. And it, it really does stand the test of time. These people paying tribute. We're paying tribute to a band that's, you know, over 50 years old. And uh, I have a whole life. My everyone in my company has a whole life based around the fringes of what the Beatles did. And just because people want to hear that music live on stage still. So it, it is a testament to, the, to the, the greatness of their music. It sure is. And uh, you are a, a true practitioner. And um, Ron, I can't tell you what a joy it was to get a chance to talk to you and spend a little bit of time talking about a subject that is endlessly interesting, and that's the Beatles and the legacy of the Beatles. Uh, I love what you're doing with Mickey and the Monkees. I think that's great. And uh, knowing how great the Fab Four is, I imagine the quality of what you're going to put together will be on par, and that's an exciting project to look out for for 2023. Definitely. I really appreciate it, and hopefully I'll get a chance to, uh, to see you down at one of the shows. That would be great. Great. Ron, thanks so much for doing this. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Matt. Pleasure was mine. We all have a favorite TV ad. TV tells powerful, memorable stories that influence and inspire. 
And as streaming becomes the new way we watch, brands can now measure their ads' impact down to the last decimal. Mountain's self-serve connected TV marketing software provides real-time insights that take the guesswork out of ad measurement. Mountain lets you build customizable dashboards with the metrics that matter most and compare your campaigns to other channels with leading web analytics integrations. You can even track when viewers visit your website or make a purchase, regardless of which household device they use. Visit Mountain.com to learn more.